Cameron Me here with a little beginning to my podcast. I'm going to be talking to guitarists, musicians, educators from around the world about some of their philosophies, whether it be from um, playing all the way down to how they teach. My first is with Jared Scheel, Associate Professor at Berkeley. Here we go. Hi, my name is Cameron Me, and today I'm here with Jared Scheel, Assistant Professor at the Berkeley School of Music. We're going to talk a little about his history into becoming a music educator. So, uh, welcome, Jarrett. Hey, how you doing, Cameron? Good, thanks. Uh, thank you very much for doing this. I just want to start off by asking you, can you tell me a little bit about your journey to becoming a music educator? Uh, yeah, I can. Um, my mom was a teacher, uh, so all my life she taught. She didn't teach music, though. She was a science teacher. She taught nurses at a community college and was a full-time um uh, RN, uh, labor and delivery nurse, for like 43 years. And I used to see her all the time, hanging with students over their care plans because their class was like the last one they had to take in order to graduate from the program. Um, and so that was like the beginning of it. And then like I always like really didn't like school because I just felt like I just didn't, my, I couldn't find my identity there. Whatever that means for whoever's listening. Uh, and then I went to college and I wanted to be a musician because I started doing music in high school and I kind of fell in love with it like more than I could ever imagine uh, falling in love with anything other than my wife and my kids. And I just wanted to do more and more of it. And then I taught at a couple camps and one of the camps that like really lit my, my you know, like light, lit my life on uh, fire for music. Education was Blue Lake Fine Arts Camp, and I taught there one summer, like 2003 or four. It was one of the greatest summers of my life. Uh, it was a lot of heartbreak that summer, but like that was one of the greatest because I just got turned on to wanting to teach and deal with kids and help them out. And it just, I never looked back since then. And um, I started to like the, the, the fire grew in me, and then I started doing some more stuff with school, high schools. Did that for, you know, five years in Orlando, two different high schools, and then I taught at a community college, and I fell in love with teaching adults, agrogogy instead of uh, uh, pedagogy, and, you know, uh, guiding adult learners, and so uh, that's kind of my journey, and then, like, I think I fell in love with the most when I finally, like, figured out my own rhythm, and I figured out I can make my my professional music life of performing with this teacher professional life and that they were the same person. I didn't have to be two different separate people. I could just be me. And I just, I think I learned how to somewhat balance it out. And so that's it. Right. So I guess with that, obviously being a musician, you'd have, you have your own style, I guess it develops over time. Uh, would you say that's crossed over into teaching? Like, could you tell me a bit about your teaching style or, or what you think about it? That's a good question. Um, yeah, I think Miles Davis had some quote, you know, it's like somewhere in one documentary, I think I've, I've seen, I've actually seen him say it. He's like, it took him a very long time to like play like himself. And so that's, I'm still in the process of finding that out for the trumpet and for the music I write or perform with other people. And so my teacher style is always in the process of becoming something more than what it was and um i think for me it it resembles who i am which is one i don't i care about assessment because i want to make sure that you understand what you learn but i don't care about it enough to make it something that i'm gonna penalize you for because you don't get it actually it makes me excited to like 
figure out how to explain it to you another way. Right. So I think that that's a little bit different than some other teachers that I've ever had, which is, you know, there's this one way of explaining it, and how come you don't get it, and there's something wrong with you. And I think because I didn't have a formal teacher for my trumpet, my first, like, four years of playing the instrument, and I started when I was, like, 14, and I didn't, like, get, a, like, a private lesson teacher until, like, I think I might have been like 21. Right. When I finally declared to do music and I was not going to do science. So I took all of the, I figured out on my own and learned it as many different ways as I could or, fig, or had to figure it out a bunch of different ways because I didn't know exactly which way to attack it. And I just applied it to my teacher style, which means that like when I'm preparing for a class, I try to prepare a visual representation, um, a number of like verbal explanations and then I ask a lot of questions like what do you think it is and then I try to clarify and then you know I support it with hopefully good readings and stuff like that so I think that's my style of like trying to inquire like what might be the issue or what do you understand already so I can support or clarify which is a lot different than just like here the the answer is just go memorize this well, I guess that would tie directly into my next question, which is, like, how do you deal with certain students who, even though you clearly have a very, like, wide and pretty broad teaching style, like, it would reach most people, how do you deal with those students that just aren't quite connecting with you? Oh, that's another good question. I think, well, I mean, if it could be for a variety of reasons, it could just be my personality. One, I always acknowledge that, like, everybody doesn't have to like me. Right, yeah. You know, so, and that, that can become a hurdle for some people. And so, you know, I try to be as, if you knew me, knew me. <laughs> I try to be as responsive as, as possible instead of reactive because in my, in my personal life, I'm very much an introvert and I can be a, a bit curt when right. I'm talking to people, you know, like, because I'm just a germaphobe and a variety of other anxieties that people don't know about. Right, yeah. So I have that. And then, you know, I, okay, if it's not a problem with me being a jerk or I said the wrong thing or maybe I said something, you know, that offended you that I didn't know about, then I go, well, maybe the, maybe that person's uh, not interested in the topic, so then I'll try to meet them where they are and really get down to asking them, like, well, is this something that you really want to do or do you realize, like, these are things that are mandatory to pass this class? And I think once we kind of hash that out, you know, to say that, like, I'm not going to mark you down. You start with an A, and whatever you don't turn in is you taking out that on yourself, not me. Right, yeah. So it's so a li- it's, it's reminding yeah, them that it's it's on them, ultimately, as much as it is. Right. It is on you, in a sense, but really, uh, they determine their own grades. Fate. Right. Yeah. So it's just like life. It's like you... I want to set every, and this is the funny thing, because people don't ever ask, so they don't know. So within my philosophy, I'm like, in my assessment philosophy, it's like everybody should start off in the same place. Not somebody gets an A because I like them or they write really well. Like, no, everybody starts off with an A whether you're a good writer or not. Right, yeah. And whenever you don't participate or you, you don't submit, that's part of you taking the wind out of your own sails. And then when you do that, I go, hey, do you need some help? Or maybe I'll extend the deadline. And there are people who like, sometimes this is the funny part about that. Even though it makes it harder for me, somebody will say, oh, he's not a real teacher because he didn't stick to that deadline. But ultimately, I'm trying to help you out 
because I want to see you get to the end of the journey. So it's like I could punish you or I could like try to work with you. So I think that's one of my things. Like I just try to reach out as much as I can. Right. Yeah. Some people will not respond, but you know, that's my job is to try to do it the best I can. And as many times as need be in order for you to connect. Right. I mean, knowing you personally, I think you do a, a, a really good job of that. I think, I think something else that you do is you really do create a, like a, a safe space for everyone. And um, I wanted to ask about how do you go about making a safe space for like people who are learning and for the uh, for the teachers? Mm, mm, that's a really good question. I think I don't know if I do that well. I appreciate your comment. I I think the only way that you can create a safe space is you have to be vulnerable yourself and be willing to step in when you know the wrong thing is happening. So a safe space for me is not one where people can just come in and dump and like complain or just cry. You know, like that's sometimes what people think a safe space is. A safe space is where we can disagree and not blow up at each other. Where somebody can disclose sensitive information and we know it should not go anywhere outside of this room. You know? Yeah. Um, and I think those are safe spaces in which you know you, when you walk in, nobody, even though they don't like you, they're not going to engage in that type of uh, like verbal takedown or like bullying or anything like that. So for me, I step in anywhere, anytime I can. I, it was a story from my first year teaching at community college after I got my master's, my first master's degree. There was this young woman named Kimberly Moltsby. A real, this is a real person. She is now an engineer. She goes around the world making uh, windmills, like, for power. Right. And she was in my classroom, and I did not know that there was a male student that was bullying her. And she stopped me after class. It's like my first green year of teaching community college. Different space. But she goes, can I talk to you? And she pulled me to the side and said, uh, and I said, yeah, why? And I was like, do you want me to leave the door open or close to the, the classroom? She was like, could we close it? And I was like, all right, cool. <clears throat> and I told him, if there's something that happened, I have to report. Because I, I just, I'm, you know, I'm a responsible, ethical teacher. Right. And so she told me about the situation. And at that moment, I, I almost came in almost like, I didn't know what to do. And the voice inside me, the conscience that my mom probably helped program from when I was a little kid said, you should go report this right now. So I went and what she told me was like a serious comment, you know, and I was like, oh, this is real. And so I went around to my chair. He wasn't in his office at the time, but I wanted to have this is Friday at 2 p.m. Right. So I was like, I'm not going to let the weekend go because then what if something happens? It was due, blah, 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 blah. So I go to the dean's office and I just said, I know we need to talk to you now. I want to put a report. I want to help her report or whatever that she is. So from that first incident I ever, like that's the first time it had ever happened that somebody disclosed to me. I've just taken that role so seriously about me not abusing you and you not abusing me and letting anybody else abuse you at all. Right. Yeah. And so I, I don't know. That's just the story. And so, from then on, I just all I can do is inquire, invite, 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 and um, that would be my uh, my advisor, Dr. Brenda, also would tell me that oftentimes it's like all you can do is invite people to be part, 
you know, and if they don't want to be part, that's their decision. But, you know, you have to invite, invite, invite as a teacher. So that's it. That's my my whole vision is to invite people as much as I can. Yeah. I can. I mean, that makes it makes perfect sense. Uh, and I mean, this would tie tie into that because like because of that incident, obviously, you, you've had to develop, uh, I guess, your teaching style and program around that. So how after that did you go about developing your teaching style? And like, did it change at all? Or was it has it been pretty set since or, uh, you know, what strategies have you used to help you deal with situations that have arised in your like, whether it's just a learning thing or it's a, a situation like that? Well, you know, uh, that's, that's another good question. I think for me, um, it's always evolving, just like my playing style, I think. Hopefully, and if it's not, then I think it's almost like you're not investing in yourself. It doesn't mean it has to be a major shift, a paradigm shift. It just means that, like, you know, if you're taking in stuff, it's going to eventually come out. Right. But if you're not taking in anything new or different, then nothing new or different probably won't come out. It, it might, but more likely the more input that you take, the more the different the output will be. And so I read a lot. I read about other teachers. I, re, I read their articles. And this is the thing I still do. I go watch other really great teachers. And that's like, that's a great way to take it in is to learn from other people who are really good as well, right? Right. And I don't always ask questions. Sometimes I just go observe. So everything doesn't have to be this formal teaching environment where I have to have, you know, 10 questions set up. Right. To say like, what do you do about this and this and this? And sometimes it's just to go and watch and observe passively. Just, and I like to be a student. So I can, instead of judging the teacher, I can actually be part of that like the activity and the experience and the exercise. So then as a learner, I can say like, wow, this really benefited me or like, oh, this really was, this didn't help me at all. And maybe it was really great, but maybe this is better for a different group or a community instead of judging the teacher. And I think sometimes we just like other teachers get too caught up in that. You know, how long did it take you to do your setup, your intro? How long was your exercise? And like, it's like that's not as important. Right, yeah. Process is more important than the product. Process is more important than the product. Process is more important than the product any day, all day long. Yeah, I mean, that's that's incredible. Like, it definitely something I agree with. I think, uh, yeah, there's a lot of focus sometimes on things that might be completely irrelevant to the end, the end <laughs> product, which right. shouldn't be. Um, right. <laughs> so, so one thing is, you've been, how long have you been teaching now? Few years. Uh, professionally since 2005 so it's going on like 15 years how has uh how have your perspectives like on music education changed since you began teaching oh tremendously and kind of to go back and answer the, the question before which is like uh my teacher style is just I, I, I think it's just like just being myself right <laughs> i mean i've only known you as you since I've studied with you. <laughs> and, 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 when you. And when you hang out with me outside of this, which is the thing people think that I'm going to be totally different when they see me later, I'll go, hey, Cameron, and you'll see me on the street, and you you might go, is, he, is Jared talking to me? I'm like, yes. And I'm the <laughs> same way at Amelia's, the taco place or whatever, as I would be 
in the classroom with you or meeting you going to Woody's or what, you know, like I'm just that person. Because I just felt like it seems less stressful and less energy just to be myself all the time. Right. There's almost, it's, it's, uh, I mean, like Miles said, it took him a long time to sound like himself, but there's, there's a great example of someone who was unapologetically himself at all times. So it, it, it allows me more energy to donate and, and, uh, direct toward like finding out what's up with Cameron instead of me playing a character for 40 minutes. Right. Yeah. And then it's it, it takes so much more energy to also do that when you're not at, in class because then there's a standard of you like what you're supposed to wear and act and whatever you know like oh it just seems like a lot of energy man it's like and that's not good for you when you go perform because all that energy takes away from your creativity and your imagination. I mean, no, I, I I'll just say like on a personal level, I I relate to that because I grew up with like weirdo parents who were just like okay you're probably going to be a weirdo so just who cares it's too late <laughs> right, just be yourself even yeah. if you are whatever because i'm a weirdo but like what you know what does even that mean you know it's like just be yourself and the people like you they're like you know, it's not they're like bad bad for them yeah know? i think the thing is in the end you always find your people Right, and so, you know, for me, I'm just, like, trying to reach whatever people want to be reached, and I'm trying to get to everybody, but, you know, like, the, the old adage goes, like, you know, you might have 10 people in the class, and you might really connect to one, and some people go, like, well, you failed. It's like, well, no. It's like, yeah, but that one person can change 10,000 lives, so, you know, or change the direction of 10,000 other people for the good or the worse. Right, would you... And so... You know, it's about everybody as much as you can. You can't just try to get everybody, but you try to get as many as you can. Would you say that has a that has kept? Is that one of the main influences that's kept you going with music? That's kept you like you know for fifteen years now, continually teaching and dedicated to wanting to get better as a teacher. Yeah, I think. Well, I mean, that's one of the things. I think it's just super important for me. It's I'm doing more than teaching notes and like history and. Suzuki method and what is Kadai and you know what is uh sorry Podai somebody would get upset if they heard me say that incorrectly <laughs> or um you know I'm just saying like any of those are for me it's deeper than that because those things are just names for things that you already know but I think what is the deepest thing is like well, why are you doing this right and then who are you serving and then people will go what do you mean the students yeah but I mean like what do those students look like and you need to be very upfront with like specifying that and like so the more I dig the deeper it gets because then there's all these other questions I want to add into my teaching over the next five years which has to do more with the thinking upfront before you do and then the thinking in the back on the back end after you've done it so that you reflect on it because I don't think we do enough of it. And then in the next 10 years, teachers who teach music are going to be dealing with this thing, grief and trauma, especially because all the COVID stuff. Could you imagine how many people are going to be um, in some type of traumatic like situation for 10 years because there's kids in elementary school that are going to go through high school and then you're going to hear these stories, these testimonials for the next decade and some change. So unless you're ready to deal with trauma, and so those kind of, you know, 
just in short, those things are the things that, like, they don't keep me up, but they keep me going, like, oh, man, I have another space to explore for my students. And it's important because I'm not teaching them just to be uh, tacticians or instructors. I'm trying to teach them to be, like, good shepherds and shepherdesses to these young people that are trying to train to be good civic members of the community, this democracy, this republic. And so I think I'm just using music as a means to help you be a good person. Right. As almost like a, it's, it's like there's the, you brought up a quote and I can't remember it a long time ago, but it was, was it, was it you or is it another person? I know. And it was a quote that was like a teacher teaches a mentor inspires. And then it was like, you know, and no, it was like a teacher teaches and then had another term and it was like, uh, inspires. And then it was like a mentor, uh, sets forth a lifelong passion, you know? Yeah. And I think, I think for me, my, yeah, I mean, that's kind of the thing I haven't been saying lately. I don't have to use that term, but mentorship is the biggest part. I think that's missing within the profession of music education. There's a lot of setting people on paths, but then people will go like, all right, well, good luck. And you and the person is like the kid get pushed on the bike. The kid wants you to hold on as long as he or she or they need you to in order to feel comfortable balancing and figure, just like in life, finding your balance, your rhythm. So right. You, they feel confident for you to let go. And it doesn't mean it. I mean, sometimes I've mentored, I'm, and that's another thing I do on the side. I mentor students, but they're like the, the ones that I don't get paid for or it's not through a program. It's just like I have a couple of students that I call and I go like, I just called one month, like maybe an hour ago to say, how are you doing? How is your family and your kids? Like, are you all right? You living in New York City. I haven't seen you in a year. Like, are you, they tell me. And it wasn't because I was, like, getting a grade. It was literally because I wanted to mentor into um, being a good, like, an adult, whatever that means. Right, yeah. It goes. so that means I have to hang on to him as long as he needs until he moves on to the next mentor. Or maybe he never will. So then that means, like, every student I come across is going to be connected to me as long as they want to, as long as they need. Right, Instead yeah. Just one semester, and I'll see you later. And like, I don't know who was that kid. I don't know that kid. Yeah, I mean, and yeah, that's something in my own uh, my own personal experience I've had, and I still have with a, a couple of teachers at Berkeley, actually. You know. Um, yeah. And then I guess, well, this kind of would tie into to my last question, even though I feel like you've pretty much summed it up. But what yeah. what music advice would you give? to a new, like, to a music education student? Uh, or I, I would actually, let's broaden it, to just an aspiring teacher in general. Oh, these are things that I say to people all the time, whatever they're about to go be, be teachers and nobody ever pays attention to it. Until later. <laughs> <laughs> Your first year, no matter how hard you try, will never live up to the expectations that you set for yourself. It doesn't mean don't try. It just means if it doesn't work out, don't lose your mind. Right. That just means it is a prototypical expression of transferring from a school environment where you've just been thinking about what to do to a practical environment in which now you have you're doing and you're processing and you're reflecting 
and you're transitioning and all that kind of stuff. So <clears throat> I would say that's the first thing is like, don't sweat the small stuff. Keep going every day. Um, also, um, find a hobby that's not music that you don't have to spend a lot of money on. And whenever you have a moment, travel and do stuff that's not musical and it's not teachery. Right, and just live life. Just be be like a normal person. (laughs) Don't spend your whole summer archiving music and like, that's great. If that's what you want to do with your life, great. But there's going to come a time when you become so burnt out by dedicating so much of your life to the art that you forget that you have to live life in order to make the art. So, if you have a hobby that's not to do any of that, then you come back to it, you'll feel so refreshed and have so many more things to say and express and emote and, you know, all that kind of stuff and translate into sonic things as opposed to just doing the sonic stuff so much that you feel burnt out from it. You know, like, I think that would be the one of the biggest pieces of advice. Um, I would say invest in yourself. That means do not just... Uh, invest in the kids in the school you better buy some things for yourself doesn't mean TVs and crazy cars but I mean like if you need to go on a, to a convention or a conference you know invest in yourself in order to develop your own teaching because you can't get it all done by yourself no matter how many books you read you have to get out and go find other people who are doing dope stuff and observe uh, and I think that's another thing and also where, and this is going to sound funny to you, but wear good shoes. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> your, your job is you're going to be standing up. It's almost like you're selling, you're like working at uh, Sam Ash or something or Guitar Center. You're standing up all day long. There's little to no suits, right? Right. And if you wear really bad shoes, your arch will drop, which will affect your foot health, which will in turn affect your leg health. When you become, as you get older, men's heart health is connected to their leg health. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I feel you. A a lot of teachers wear really jacked up shoes. So if you always will see, usually you'll see me wearing a pair of sneakers. And people think I'm trying, you know, you're you're being young. No, I was like, I like my feet to not hurt. And so I wear running shoes all the time. And I've been doing it for 15 years. And like, rarely have I ever like had any really bad body pains from standing up all day long. I definitely, uh, as someone, I used to work in a sneaker shop and I definitely quickly learned how good it is to have sneakers on all day. And so I used to wear docks exclusively yeah, man. every day for years. And then I suddenly amassed a sneaker collection and I was like, I'm feeling like, you know, I feel like I don't want to run around a lot today. So I now have shoes where I'm like, oh, these will let me run around. For a short amount of time and be fine, whereas I have others where it's like same thing. I can wear them all day and like I'm not stressing. <laughs> right, and I, I think that's another thing I like to do at some point in my career. It's kind of like there needs to be a health kit for teachers, you know, where not just what we eat and not just our mental health, but also like our physical health. Like you're in that room, like you need to do some stuff other than you know fix, sit behind a desk and you know wave your arms up and down. It has to be. Some more, and it doesn't all have to be, you know, marching band stuff. It's like, you know, there's all these things you can do to help. I, I don't know. It's like if I'm going to do something for 20 years, 
has to be some type of like like counter to that, right? Right. Yeah. It's like, listen, it's like playing the same tune every day in the same way. Like you got to figure something out else out to make it exciting. A pause here and there. Put the beginning at the front. Like do something different. Do something which yeah sets it apart from what you did before. Right. Yeah, woman. Well, uh, this has uh, been great. I'm gonna I'm gonna end us off here. But uh, I just want to thank my guest, Jarrett, for taking part in this interview. And this has been Cameron Me interviewing Associate Professor at the Berkeley School of Music, Jarrett Shield. Thank you so much.